miss being with you this morning. I was able to be over at the 24th Street congregation and to preach for them. And if you uh, have not heard, we've got about a dozen or so of our men who will be going over there over the next several weeks and and, uh, preaching on Sunday morning there without a preacher at the time. So uh, we're we're trying to help them fill the pulpit as they uh, are looking and, and going through all of that process. But Appreciate all the guys who, who will be going, and I appreciate Cole this morning. We already had him scheduled to speak here, and look forward to working with him this summer, but uh, had him scheduled to speak here, and that freed me up to be able to go over and preach for them this morning. So enjoyed getting to do that and to be with them, spend some time with them. What you're looking at on the screen tonight is a picture that was taken yesterday. Now, you may not be able to see every detail there. You'll see that there's a man standing there. The man who's standing there is John Moore. You may know John from uh, in search of uh, uh, searching the scriptures, I think, is the, uh, the name of the, the video series that comes out. And of course, John has done a number of other videos, but the picture was taken by a friend of mine by the name of Luke Griffin. He actually is there at this particular spot. Uh, we have a group from Polishing the Pulpit or uh, that, that started actually through Polishing the Pulpit uh, who goes over each year into the, what we know as, as the Holy Land uh, over in uh, Israel and in that area. And so Luke just happens to be over there. John happens to be there. There's several others who are associated uh, who got to make the trip this year. But he's standing at a, a very interesting place, especially for me. When I saw this on his uh, Facebook feed last night, I said, I've got to use Luke's picture. If you think about what is said in the book of Judges, chapter 6 at verse 33, the Bible says, Now all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. What you're seeing on the screen tonight is a picture of the valley of Jezreel. Now, I'm not sure that Luke was standing at exactly the same spot, but we know that this is the valley of Jezreel. We were talking last Sunday night as we studied through the book of Judges. We were talking about Gideon and the Midianites. And we know, of course, the Midianites were persecuting, if you will, the children of Israel. Uh, They had been coming against them for seven years. They'd been stealing the crops that they were growing. And they were leaving the people without being able to have sustenance and be able to, uh, to take care of themselves. And so the people of the Lord cried out to God to help deliver them. But now all of these people that we're about to study about have come to the valley of Jezreel, the one, the picture that we have here. They have gathered together there. The Bible says in verse 12 of chapter number 7, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like locusts for multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand upon the seashore for multitude. Can you imagine standing up on one of the hillsides like Luke and these others were doing and looking down into this valley and seeing all of the soldiers down in that valley. How that they are covering the valley. And how that the Bible says that the camels were down there, so many that you couldn't even begin to count them. There were that many. 
Now, how many soldiers were down there? If you go to chapter number 8, verse number 10, I've got the wrong uh, verse number up there, but in chapter 8, at verse number 10, the Bible says, Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their host with them, about 15,000 men, all that were left of the host of the children of the east, for there fell 120,000 men. We don't know for sure how many were actually there in that valley. We do know that there were at least 135,000 soldiers who were there, and the children of Israel were looking down on them. They were, they were about to encounter that large army in this place. The Valley of Jezreel is also interesting. Our whole lesson is not going to be on that. But there was another great battle that took place in the Valley of Jezreel, and that's when Saul and his army was defeated in the Valley of Jezreel. And so I'll have to give Luke credit because we're using his picture tonight just to think about. Can you imagine looking down into the valley and seeing all, all of those soldiers, that great horde of people who had been oppressing you and your people for seven long days? years. What an amazing, an amazing thing that, that you're beginning to think about when you start studying about Gideon and what takes place in his life. You know, as I think about what happens here, I can't help but think about the fact that it seems that God sometimes likes the underdog. You, you know, sometimes God goes about things in ways that we probably wouldn't do. And we know from studying the Bible in the book of Judges that when all of this great number of people, at least 135,000, with all of those camels, we know that Gideon had an army, too, of 32,000 men. How do you win a battle like that? How do you win a battle with 32,000 men against an army of at least 135,000 men? Now, you've already read the story, I'm sure. And you know what happened. You know that Gideon was able to defeat this army. Uh, we've already looked at chapter 8, at verse number 10. And we know that at least 120,000 of them had been killed and there were only 15,000 left, and they were, they were about to, to meet their doom as well. But how do, you, how do you go about winning in a battle like this? And that's what we want to spend some time thinking about tonight. How is it that God can take an underdog? Now, 32,000 men, of course, against 135,000 automatically makes that army seemingly an underdog, but how can God take the underdog and how is it that he can cause good to come out of it? How is it that he can win a battle? How is it that that army can win against such great odds? Well, I think number one, as we think about what we're calling tonight, a barley cake came rolling into camp. You'll see more about that in just a few moments. As we think about this sermon tonight, we need to remember God's promise. If I want to know how to win the battle, I need to remember that God has made promises, and I need to remember the promises that God made. As we think about this particular setting, 
Go back to the book of Judges chapter 6, if you will, in your uh, Bible. And look beginning at verse number 14. And if you read verses 14 through 16, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find the angel of Jehovah has come and he has spoken to Gideon. And during this conversation that we talked a lot about last week, we understand that, uh, that Gideon comes to understand that he's actually speaking to God and God is telling him, Gideon, it's time for you to get up. It's time for you to go because you're the one who's going to deliver this great people. In Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, the Bible says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he, arose, he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You see, God makes a promise to him that he will be the one who will deliver his people. Now, God had done that before. He had done it with Moses. He had done it with some of these other judges that we've already studied this year in studying through the book of Judges. But he tells Gideon at this time, Gideon, you are the man. Gideon, you are the one who's going, to, who's going to save the people at this time. Well, how can I do that, Lord? Because I will be with you. I'm going to provide the muscle, if you will. I'm going to provide the plan. I'm going to make sure that everything can be done. Gideon, I will be with you. And you will be able to defeat them as though they were only one person. Now, I don't know how much went through the mind of Gideon as he approaches the army and he sees all of these 135,000, but it may have been something like this. Lord, they look like a whole lot more than one. But he had to remember the promise of God in order to be able to do that. You know, Gideon, I do understand and do know he had some doubts. And he really and truly came across in this way. Lord, are you really sure? Are, are you sure that it's me, Lord, that, that's going to do this? Look, if you will, to chapter 6, verses 36 through 40. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. God, are you really sure? I know you've made a promise. I know you've told me that, that this is going to happen and it's going to happen by my hand, but God, are you really sure that this is going to work. God, give me a sign. Now, this is not the first time that Gideon has asked for a sign. Don't you remember? We were talking to him. Uh, he was talking to God. We weren't talking to him. He was talking to God, the angel, last week as we were studying about it and, and said, really and truly, if it's, if it's you, if, it's, if, if you're going to deliver me, would you stay till I get back? 
and, and, and let me go and prepare you a meal, or better put, a present, an offering. And we talked about that last week. And when he came back, he was told to pour it out, and God consumed it right there from the rock. You see in verses 36 and following, it's not the first time Gideon says, Lord, make sure, make sure. Let me, let me be sure, Lord. Well, let me lay the fleece out. If it's wet, the ground is dry, then, then I'll know. But he wasn't finished. It happened just like he said to begin with. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just one more time. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. And on the ground there was dew. You see, the point is this. God had made a promise. And Gideon is having a problem believing the promise. Is there anybody in this audience tonight who's ever had a problem believing the promises of God? You know, I would venture to say almost all of us, if not all of us, have had a problem at one time or another accepting what God has told us. You know, when you're out and you're door knocking and your heart is pounding and, and you really just have a hard time walking up to that door hoping nobody's at home so you won't have to talk, it's hard to remember that God said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, Gideon's not alone. We're, we're just like Gideon a lot of times. We sort of doubt the promises of God. This is the third time that Gideon has asked for confirmation that the promise that God made to him is actually true. He hasn't forgotten the promise. He's just having a hard time letting it soak in that it's really true. But he still had to remember the promise. God allowed that to happen as well. But you know what? Gideon is not finished yet. And God recognizes it down in chapter number 7. Beginning in verse number 9, that same night... Not the night of the fleece, but uh, something else has been introduced at the beginning of chapter 7. He said, That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Now they're down in that valley of Jezreel. Go down there, because I've given it into your hand. God is repeating His promise to him. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. You shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. 
The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread. Oh, you're beginning to catch on to the title of our lesson tonight. A cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Folks, this is four times already that God has had to make sure that Gideon understood that his promise is going to be kept. It seems sort of strange, you know, that God would, would confirm His promise in this way. Go down there and listen to what they're saying down in the camp. Gideon, you've got, you started out with 32,000 men. They got at least 135,000. But what's the chatter down in the camp? What are they saying? This man has dreamed a dream. A little loaf of bread's come rolling into the camp. And it turned the tent upside down. And the man says, well, the interpretation of that dream is this. Surely this is Gideon. His sword is coming down and they're going to beat us. Now, I shortened that out a little bit. Now, if I had dreamed that dream or if somebody had told me that dream and I was trying to interpret that dream for somebody, I probably wouldn't have come up with that interpretation, would you? A loaf of bread comes rolling into camp. It knocks a tent over. And it's got to be God and Gideon coming down here and they're going to beat us. You see, God confirmed to Gideon about his promise by allowing even the people in the camp to interpret the dream to speak the words that only could have come from God. And God allowed Gideon to hear that. The chatter in the camp should not have been that Gideon is going to beat us. For seven long years, nobody had been able to defeat them. They had come in and taken what they want and left. And now they got this great army and they're ready to battle again. And they should not have been able to win in any way. But to talk in the camp because of a dream about a loaf of bread rolling in and knocking a tin over is that Gideon's going to win. By the hand of God, Gideon will win. God has promised, Gideon, I will deliver Israel by your hand. Are you sure, Lord? Well, yes, 
lay out the fleece. If it gets wet, the ground stays dry, then I'll know. Lord, don't get mad. Let me, let me, let's do this one more time. Tonight, if the fleece stays dry and the ground gets wet, I'll understand. And God, still being God, could look into the heart, into the mind of Gideon and see fear. Gideon, if you're still afraid, go down there and listen to what they're saying. You see, we have to remember the promises of God. In order to win, Gideon had to get that through his mind. He had to understand God meant what he said when he said it. You know, God is always like that, isn't he? Numbers 23 at verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will, not, uh, will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God said, you'll win by my help. And Gideon was having a hard time grasping that. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 13 in the New Testament, Paul writes and says, If we are faithless, He, God, remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Hebrews 6 verse 18, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Titus chapter 1 at verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. What are the promises that God has made to us? We mentioned one a while ago, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. But he's promised a salvation through his Son. Through obedience to the things that he has laid out for us in his word. Do we doubt what God has promised us? There are a lot of people in our world today who would make fun of it. Who do not believe even in God, nor any promise that he would make. But what about us? We're not talking about them tonight. What about us? Are we one who believes in the promises of God? You know, we're fighting a, a big battle, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. We're fighting a big battle in our life. Our complete life is a battle. How am I going to win? Number one, remember the promises of God. Secondly tonight, how are we going to win? We're the underdog in this battle. How am I going to win? Submit to God's plan. Submit to God's plan. Well, think about God's plan, if you will, for a moment. Gideon had a plan. What was his plan? Take the 32,000 men that I've rounded up, 
If you go to the end of chapter number 6, they started calling the folks from the different places. Take the 32,000 men that I've rounded up, those 32,000 soldiers, and attack. Go down and attack the big army. But you know what? God had a better plan. God had a better plan. In Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 8, the Bible begins to reveal the plan of God. Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, the Bible says, and all of the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. 32,000, 135,000. Get in, you got too many. You got the 32, they got the 135, but you've got too many because if they win, they'll say, look what we did. We delivered ourselves from the Midianites. So you got too many. And you know what happened. God said, Gideon, tell the scaredy cats to go home. Now, that's not exactly the way he said it. He said, the ones who are fearful, the ones who are trembling, tell them to go home. Twenty-two thousand went home. By my count, that only leaves him about 10. Now against 135. This other army hadn't got any smaller. <sighs> 22,000 people returned. And God still said in verse number 4, the people are still too many. Still got too many. Get in. You're going to have to call some of them again. Well, Lord, how am I going to call them this time? Well, we're going to get us a drink of water. And you're going to watch as they get the water. And you're going to separate them into two groups. Some of them are going to drink one way, and some are going to drink another way. Some are going to reach down and get the water and drink out of their hands. They're going to lap the water. Some are going to get down, kneel down, and drink the water. Gideon separated them out. The ones who lapped the water came to a total of 300. Now the ones who were lapping the water, grabbing the water and lapping, could watch for the army. The others were vulnerable. We could talk about that tonight, but God said, I want the 300. And that's who we're going to send. Lord, can you not count? No wonder you're talking about stars and sand. You can't even count, Lord. That's 300. They're 135,000. Lord, best I can count, that means every one of my men is going to have to fight 450 of theirs. I think I counted that right. 450 
to one. God's plan was different, wasn't it? Different from what Gideon wanted to do. He was trusting enough to say, Lord, let me take my 32,000. I believe we can handle them. A lot better odds. But God's plan was different. Not only that, God's plan was distinct, wasn't it? How many folks in here would have come up with that plan? And if you say you would have come up with that plan, we need to have a talk down front. And we'll have some prayers for you. Because there's not a soul in here who would have said, let me have 300 and I can go, I, we can take them. God's plan was distinct. It was different than what the man came up with and distinct because no man would have come up with that one. Judges 7, 15 through 23, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he said, we can handle it. He divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars and torches inside. And you know what happened, don't you? They approached from different sides. You can read. Gideon said, watch me. When they got into the camp, they blew their trumpets. They took the lights, the, the torches that were hidden under the pitchers. They broke them open. And all of this 135,000 soldiers thought that they had unleashed on them some kind of horde that was going to destroy them. They were fighting in the darkness, killing each other. God's plan was different, it was distinct, and it was successful. They won. You can't read the story of Gideon without understanding God won. He took 300 and defeated 135,000. But in order for God's plan to work, Gideon and his whole army had to consent to God's plan, to submit to God's plan. It must have been awfully hard to watch 31,700 soldiers walk away and be left with only 300. But General Gideon became Barleycake Gideon. And he went rolling into the Valley of Jezreel and won. How hard must it have been for Gideon to say, Lord, I don't see how this is going to work, but I'll trust you.
We look sometimes at these Bible characters and we say, should listen to God. You ought to know it's going to work. You foolish person. Why would you ask God four times before you believe His promise? You know, we sometimes make them out as the bad guys. I don't see how it's going to work, Lord, but I'll trust you. In order for God's plan to work, Gideon and his army had to consent to God's plan, but they also had to carry it out. God's plan seemed bad. By any stretch of the imagination. God's plan seemed bad. 300? They got more camels than you can count. But through obedient faith, they gained the victory. You see, they consented, but they carried it out. We're fighting a battle bigger than Gideon's every single day of our life. We are fighting a battle that seems almost unwinnable. First Peter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is after you. He's trying to... To, to, to get you. Paul said, put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against Him. You see, we're fighting a battle bigger than Gideon's because our soul is at stake. Our very soul. Not winning a a battle on a battlefield with soldiers. Our soul is at stake. And you know what? God has made a promise, hasn't He? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him. There are multiplied millions of people in our world today who do not believe in the Son of God or the promise of God. Acts 2.21 says, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There are multiplied millions in our world today who are unwilling to call on the name of the Lord. God wants them to. He's made it possible for them. But so many do not believe the promise of God. Why? 
Because we have a tendency to think we can win the fight on our own. I can do it myself. God, I don't need you. I don't believe in you. I don't believe in anything that you're saying about life after death. I don't have any of that. I can win this battle on my own. If I can make enough money in this life, I can have everything I want. I just do it on my own. But folks, you cannot win this battle on your own. You can't win the battle of eternal life on your own. Try as you may, you can't win it on your own. God gave the Old Testament law, said, here it is, keep it perfectly, and you'll win. And the only one able to do that was Jesus. If you break one of the laws, James chapter 2, you're guilty of all. If you've sinned one time, you've transgressed God's law. And that old devil that's seeking after you got you. You can't do enough good to outweigh the, the, the one sin that you have committed. But God has a plan. You see, not only has he made a promise, but he has a plan. We sometimes refer to that as God's plan of salvation. Believe in the Son. Repent of the sins that we have in our life. Make the great confession. Be baptized for the remission of sins. Buried with Christ. Raised up to walk a new creature. And somebody says, Lord... I'll believe in your son and I'll repent of my sins and I'll even confess my faith in Christ. But Lord, that going down into that baptistry and getting me wet, dunking me underwater, I just don't understand that. And I'm not going to do it. That is foolishness, God. Don't you understand that? God said, you got too many, Gideon. 32,000 is too many. Send the scaredy cats home. 22,000 left. God says, you still got too many, Gideon, to win this battle. Divide them out, the ones who will lap the water as opposed to the ones who kneel down Divide them out. 300, God, your plan is foolish. But what did Gideon do? He took the 300 and he won the battle. God, your plan is foolish. Bury somebody in water. What do you mean? What if Gideon had tried it with 32,000 men? Boy, it's quiet in here. What if Gideon had tried to win the battle with 32,000? What if he said, all right, Lord, I understand I've got 32,000. That may be too many, but we've culled it down to 10,000. 
I'm going part of the way with you. I've sent those scaredy cats home. We could do without them anyway. They probably would have turned and run anyway when we got down there, started fighting, so they wouldn't have been any good. I'll go with the 10,000, but Lord, I am not sending any more of them home because it's foolish. Just as it is to be buried in water. But they carried it out. He sent them home. They took the 300 and they won. What would keep us, anyone, from listening to God and His plan of salvation? See, I have to do the same thing that Gideon did. God doesn't expect more or even anything different from me than He did from Gideon. I have to consent to God's plan. And I have to carry it out. And hence it's by my obedient faith in God. Spoken about in both the first and the last chapter of the book of Romans. That helps me win the battle. And you know what? In doing so, that brings glory to our God in heaven. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15 through 17, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost, that I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul said, God bore with me. He allowed me to have the opportunity to become obedient. I was on the way to get his, his Christians and kill them. But he allowed me to have the opportunity for Ananias to come and to ask me the question, Saul, why are you waiting? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And Paul followed through with that. And he says, to God be glory, because he allowed me to do it. You see, God's plan brings God the glory. Who won the battle in Gideon's day? All the way through this lesson tonight, God made a promise. Gideon, you'll win. How can I do that? Well, I'll make sure it happens. God says, Mark, you can win. You can have salvation. Well, God, how do I do that? I made it possible through my son. Would you believe in him? Be obedient to him? If so, one day you'll hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Is there someone here tonight who needs to consent to the plan of God and carry it out? If you are, we'd love to baptize you for the remission of your sins based on your faith and the fact that you've repented and made that great confession.
that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Maybe you want to know more. We'd love to sit down and study with you and talk more about what the Bible has to say about the promise and the plan of God. Maybe you're here and you know that you need to do that. We're here for you. Maybe you're here and you've done that in the past, but, but you haven't been living right. You need to come back to the Lord. If that's the case, why don't you do it right now? As together we stand and sing. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the If you haven't had opportunity to partake the Lord's Supper today, if you would, please exit the building. Uh, please exit to, to the right and go down there. And uh, we're not going to serve it outside tonight. Uh, <laughs> uh, just go down there and find it somewhere. <laughs> but anyway, uh, following the service, uh, please remember we're going to have... Uh, finger foods and fellowship in the, in the fellowship pile, so please attend that. We'll have one other song and then uh, we'll be dismissed. By Gary Renner. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore.
Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just up in glory land we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drifts back from heaven's shore. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day you have given us. We're so thankful for the leadership.